Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, Baptism, The Door to More Than Christian, and it is part of the Don't Just Be a Christian Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Uh, you might expect me to preach to the, to the political environment today. Um, and, and I am going to do two sermons, two sermons, a mini-series, starting next week uh, on uh, what the Bible says about uh, po- power in politics. What does the Bible say about power in politics? Because I do think it would be helpful. I just kind of abandoned the other series I was going to do. Uh, and uh, I think it would be helpful if you find out what the Bible says about those. And, and we, put, we put our political environment into biblical perspective. So I want to do that. And, but today, I just I don't want to do that today. I, I don't want to talk about the current events today. And I'm sure many pulpits will, and that's great. I think that's awesome. You, some of you probably need some um, perspective or, or, or whatever it is. I know when, when uh, four years ago, um, I had, to, had personal conversations with several people who were very upset, very concerned. And, and so it's no different this time. There are people that are upset, concerned, different people with different reactions depending on who you wanted to, to be in the Oval Office. And I know it's not over. There's going to be, a, I understand, a court challenge coming tomorrow. So I, we don't know for sure yet. But um, anyway, regardless, you know, here's the thing we've learned about the, the political crisis uh, over this past year and, and, and even before, and the pandemic and all of these things. One thing it's taught us is the most important part of your life is not in Washington, D.C., and I mean this sincerely, or it's not in uh, Brussels, Belgium, or London, England. The most important part of your life is your own social circle. The people that you live with, your family, your fellow church members, the people you work with. This is where we actually live our lives. We don't actually live our lives in the headlines. Now, they affect our lives. They, they, they make inroads, and when things like this happen, they make inroads more than usual. And, and we do need to address that, but we also need to readdress what's happening in our personal lives with one another. How are we treating one another? How are we relating to one another? How are we loving one another? How are we supporting one another? How are we, how are we uh, responding to those who disagree with us? Those sort of things. So I want to go back and, and, uh, and, and preach a sermon that I intended to preach the day we did the baptism. But we had so many baptism stories and so many baptisms, they were so good I bailed out on the, the sermon, and we let their stories be the sermon. I don't regret that. But I want to preach that sermon, and uh, hopefully uh, I've emailed all our baptismal candidates to, to encourage them to be here or to watch the live stream so they would hear this. And uh, if you're here and you were baptized that day, I, I hope you will pay special attention because this message is a part of that series uh, about being more than a Christian. About that. It's a really the fourth sermon of that series. And so I want to get into this and I want to talk about baptism, the door to more than Christian. 
Remember we talked about how the, the Bible didn't use the word Christian. Only three times the word Christian occurs in the Bible. Jesus didn't use the word Christian. And it was seldom used by the early church. The word that was used was either disciple or followers of Christ. Followers of Christ or disciple was the term that was used. And so in, in, current day, in current, our current times, we, we have... Uh, we've, you come up with the word Christian, and we use the word Christian more often than disciple or Christ follower, and the word Christian can be defined just about any way you want to define it. You can just barely believe and be defined as a Christian. You cannot behave as a Christian and be defined as a Christian. So Christian, being a Christian is easy. Being a Christ follower is costly. And so I believe that most of you are here today, and you want to be a Christ follower. And there's some of you are undecided. That's fine. Uh, but I would rather you be clear on what you're deciding on or what you're not deciding on. So that's the point. So uh, we're going to look at, when we, when we read Luke 3, 7, which we're going to read in a moment, it is, we're immediately struck by the harshness of John as all these people come to be baptized by John. And I'm also struck by the fact that Jesus affirmed John by humbling himself beneath John and being baptized. Yeah, so instead of, but instead of try, trying to take the time to translate everything that is going on here in the first century into a 21st century context, I'm going to jump right in and glean what the Lord, I believe, is obviously telling us about the meaning of water baptism. Uh, what we can immediately understand and apply is that the crowd coming to be baptized by John had theological and social reasons to be baptized. They had theological and social reasons to be baptized. Uh, you look at John chapter three or Luke chapter three, verse seven. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, "You brood of vipers." I, I never thought to say that to a new converts class. It just never occurred to me, uh, Mike Cordry, to say, "You brood of vipers." <laughs> right? Maybe, maybe, maybe we've been doing this all wrong, Mike. You think? Who, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, that, that's, that's pretty rough. I can't completely even grasp it myself, even today, after reading it my whole life. But we won't try to grasp it all. We just, the Bible is, is a narrative. It just tells us what happened, and we have to deal with it, right? So, so we see this, this, the theological reason is they were coming to escape. They believed in the judgment of God. They believed the judgment of God was coming on the world, and they believed that baptism was a way to save themselves from the wrath of God that was coming on the world. Now, now for the social reason. <clears throat> the social reason was there was, we think group identity and identity politics is a new thing. It's not new at all. The high value of group identity is nothing new. Being connected in those days with a popular teacher, a rabbi, gave you clout. So, we see that. And, you, and if you want to confirm that, you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13 through 16, where Paul talks about uh, some of you are all bragging that you've been baptized by Apollos, and some of you 
are baptized, say you're baptized by Paul. And he said, I'm just glad I didn't baptize any of you because I'm not going to get involved in your identity politics. I'm not going to play into your group identity thing. So John makes this amazing statement in, in, the, uh, in the passage I just read to you. He says, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. He, he, just, he just discounts the group, their group identity. You're children of Abraham, who cares? I mean, it, he was insulting these people, believe me. Children of Abraham, big deal. God's going to judge you individually, personally. Every tree that does not produce good fruit. And, and, and let me go. I didn't mean to really talk about the judgment there, even though I believe in it. You are responsible. God wants to transform you individually and personally. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown in the fire. So there's more to baptism than joining the protected class. There's more to baptism than just protecting us from future judgment. That isn't denied, by the way. He doesn't deny future judgment. He just says, guys, there's something more immediate. There's something more immediate than what's going to happen down the road. John quickly moves, makes it clear that your baptism is the door to you living a life that's best for you, best for your neighbor, the people around you. That's what's important. Coming to God is a reordering of your love, all of your loves. Your love for Jesus, your love for others, and you. Jesus, others, and you. So if we move down to verse 10, we also read their response. Their response wasn't to get offended, apparently. Their response wasn't to run away. Now that's very curious to me, why they didn't run away. If There's no question in my mind that if I were to address you that way, and if I were to address people in our culture today that way, I would lose followers and friends. I would lose people. You, you, that, that's too harsh. That's too judgy. All of that. I don't have an answer for that. I don't understand what just happened here. Do you? I don't really understand what happened because these were Roman soldiers. These were all kinds of people. And they, they took it. <laughs> they took it. All I can say is it must have had the ring of truth. That's all I can say. This must have had the ring of truth. And sometimes you can get by with being really tough if, you're true, if what you're saying is true. And so they, evidently they knew it was true. They knew they were not the people that they should be. And they knew that they didn't come to him to try to be the people that they should be. But God's all about me and you becoming the people that he intended for us to be. He's all about that. He's all about changing my life. So what should we do then? John confronted them with John confronted them with God's view of combining the theological with the social. He combined them together. And he starts to tell them, see, see, see there's more to salvation than joining the salvation club. It's about a step into a deep personal responsibility, a deep sensitivity to the generosity of God, to the people that are around you. Please absorb that and what I just said. I know it's not terribly profound. I know that. But I want you to absorb that, that your baptism into the body of Christ and your baptism into God and Jesus, your, 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 your committal to Christ is a, is a step into a deep sensitivity to the people around you. 
John the Baptist doesn't deny the judgment to come, but he points them away from the sweet by and by and says, this is the doorway to a new way of life now. He was saying that you are being initiated today. It's designed to challenge, change, and transform your life. In verse 11, he says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. How practical. Your salvation is very practical. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors can be baptized. Teacher, they asked. Now, they, they were like the worst, man. They were, they were a direct connection to the oppression of Rome. And they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Because they would, they would raise a person's taxes and skim off the profit for themselves. Then some soldiers asked him, well, what should we do? Imagine this, Roman soldiers what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't uh, accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So, so while we very much believe in a moment of miraculous transfer from the kingdom of God to the kingdom of light, I believe in that transaction. I don't understand it. It's mysterious. It's supernatural. Well, we really believe it. I really believe that. But John and Jesus collaborate here to make sure that coming to the waters of baptism would transform the way we look at our lives now and the way we look at the world around us. So I give you this. Baptism is three things. Water baptism is, first of all, a decision to live a challenged life. A decision to live a challenged life. I don't know who wrote this prayer, but it beautifully expresses the humility and the desire to live a challenged life that I want to express to you right now. Dear God, enlighten what's dark in me, strengthen what's weak in me, mend what's broken in me, bind what's bruised in me, heal what's sick in me, and lastly, revive whatever peace and love has died in me. I don't know who wrote that, but I love that prayer. And that's the prayer of the person who understands the waters of baptisms. John wasn't God. He was a human like you and me. But to experience the affirming experience of water baptism, you had to experience... Now, please, please catch this. I hope you can catch this. In order to experience the waters of baptism, you had to experience the informed challenge of this rough country prophet who was going around wearing a hair shirt <laughs> and, and eating... Eating grasshoppers. <laughs> you know, this is a rough dude. You had to experience his challenge. I, and notice what I said. I picked my words very carefully. That's why I preached from a transcript. <laughs> I picked my words carefully. A well-informed challenge. The thing about John the Baptist is he loved God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he knew his audience. So his challenges didn't miss the mark. He had a precise challenge for each one of them, and each one of them's challenge was different. That's why you can't just have a discipleship class and disciple everybody. Discipleship doesn't really, I believe in discipleship classes, they have their place. But discipleship classes don't disciple people because everybody's different, and everybody has a different next step, and everybody has a different thing wrong with them. <laughs> nothing wrong with me you're saying well yes there is there's something wrong with you you're a sinner there's something wrong with you there's a point in your life that needs to be addressed 
And it will only be addressed by somebody who has the courage to do it. So God is going to bring people into your life who are anointed with the Holy Spirit, love God more than themselves, and know their audience, which is you. Now granted, I said, your list is going to be different than the Pharisees. Probably if I said, uh, if I said, to, if I said to you, Bill, oh, you give one of your shirts away. You should be so sure. <laughs> I got one that I need to give away, you know? <laughs> Uh, you know, if I said to you, uh, uh, Kevin, if I said to you, buy me lunch, you'd say, well, I was planning on buying you lunch. You know, so <laughs> share your food. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we think everything is a command for us. Oh, the Bible says, share your food. I share my food all the time. I must be a great person. <laughs> I, I took five shirts to the blessing bar this week. I must be, I must be a saint because he only said share one shirt. I've shared five. <laughs> People, read the Bible with, with wisdom. Read the Bible. He, he told everybody something different because something different was going on in each of their lives. And he knew. I, I just, I I just want to camp on that for like an hour. Like, he, knew what, he knew everybody in his audience. I'm not that good. <laughs> you know, what if I could just walk on each one of you and tell you exactly where you're sinning? Well, that would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> Now, this is, this is actually a New Testament pattern, by the way. In fact, I go over to Simon Peter when Simon Peter addressed the crowd on the day of Pentecost. He was, he was just as direct. Listen to what he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this Jesus of Nazareth. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by miracles, wonders, signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men. I mean, I, I'm a wimp. I read these verses, and man, I am a, I'm a wimpy preacher. <laughs> I'm feeling convicted right here today. I think I'm just going to stop and go down and repent. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. You murdered him. He just, he just pronounced a verdict of murder on his entire crowd. <laughs> That'll get you fired from a, from a church, man. You do that. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. Of course, he gave them hope, and he, he was leading them to a message of hope. But he knew his audience, he knew what they had done, and he addressed it. That's not to suggest that our communication should be consistently harsh or we should submit to. You know, I say this all the time because I don't want you to understand. I don't believe we should submit to unhealthy, destructive dominance. We need to have boundaries with people, all that stuff. However, we're missing one of the great benefits of being baptized in the body of Christ if we don't embrace admonishment and transparency and candor. If we don't embrace it, we're missing something. I heard of uh, a couple named Dennis and Cindy Kovac who live in St. Joseph, Missouri, who were concerned when their daughter collected her second speeding ticket, their teenage daughter, and they put a bumper sticker on her car that reads, if I'm speeding, call my parents. <laughs> and list the family's phone number. <laughs> That's an open, openness to transparency and candor and correction in your life. That's kind of forcing that on your daughter, too. I know a pastor who's given his wife the names 
of people she can call when he doesn't behave well. If he refuses to wash the dishes, there's people that she can call and say, my husband's not being a good Christian today. And they will call him and say, what do you, what's up, buddy? Straighten up. He also, in that sermon where I heard that, he also has high expectations of his wife, too, so we won't get into that. So they have a high expectation marriage. I say this, covering one another with grace and mercy is not the same as covering up for one another. It's not the same. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, someone's caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So let's move on. Time is getting away from us today. Water baptism is secondly a decision to live a changed life. I think we've already made that point pretty well today. And I won't read Luke 3, 11 through 14. But except I want to point out, I want to put Luke 11, through, put that on the, up on the wall, guys, because I want people to notice what he said there. He talked to the tax collectors. And he also, if you go further down to verse 19, he rebuked, it records, Luke records, that he rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife. This man had taken his brother's wife, so he rebuked the governor. Some people think we're not supposed to confront the culture. <laughs> we're only supposed to confront the people inside the church. He rebuked the governor for stealing his brother's wife, and he eventually got killed for that, by the way. John eventually got his head cut off for that. So, being candid can, get, can create problems for you. <laughs> there are three areas of purity that John was concerned about. And I believe we need to be concerned about those today. The big three are being selfish in the areas of materialism and money. Not sharing your material world with other people. Um, the second thing is abuse in the matter of power. Where you know you have power. It could be your children. It could be husband and wife. It could be wife and husband. Wives, you, wives, you know you have power with him. What do you do with that power? God's going to hold you accountable. Husband, you know you have a certain kind of power with her. God's going to hold, God wants you to clean up your act about how you're using your power with other people. I don't agree with everything that's being said about power differentials in the world today, and there's a false philosophy out going on about that, that, that everyone in power is evil and everyone who's oppressed is, is righteous. That's, that's a false narrative, and that's not correct. And, 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 and we've got, we're going to have to address that at some point in our lives. And, and in the church, I think we're going to have to address it. But, nevertheless, it has a basis in truth. It has a basis in truth that God is concerned about how you're using. The minute you realize you have power, you need to humble yourself before God. I don't care what kind of... Even if it's that person who comes alongside you and lets you know that they want to gossip with you. You know, immediately you have power. Ooh, they want to share private gossip with me. They want to share what, who offended them. They want to talk about that. Immediately, you have a sense of power. You better humble yourself before God because that will eat you up. Yeah. And that will destroy you if you don't get control of that sense of power that you have. Every one of us have to deal with this, by the way. 
The third thing that he deals with uh, is an unlawful desire in the matter of sex. He deals with it. Those are the big three that we're going to have to deal with in our lives. And those are the big three that the waters of baptism are designed by God to put us on a path to purity. A path to purity. We're not, you know, we'll talk about perfection later, but I, I, if we get to it. I say this. It's, I doubt if it's possible to live a perfectly holy life. And I, I probably, this is my own quote, so I probably should have said it's not possible, right? That's what I, I probably should have said it in retrospect. I doubt it's possible to live a perfectly holy life, but I don't believe you can be saved unless you desperately want to. I mean that. I, I know that that's not what everyone believes. Everyone believes if I can just get you to pray that little prayer. Jesus, I believe you're the Lord, my Lord and Savior. You rose from the dead. I'm saved. Something's just... I, I, I agree with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very concerned about what he called cheap grace. I believe that's cheap grace. When you have no desire to be holy. You have no desire to be the best you can be for the people around you. How can you enter the kingdom of God like that? Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to fail. I fail almost every day in some small way and sometimes not so small. I fail to live up to the ideal and God forgive me. So let me me say it again. If it's possible to live a perfect whole life, but I don't believe you can be saved unless you desperately want to. We are mocking grace and abusing creation when we don't strive to discover its power to transform. I will quote that great theologian, Pittsburgh Steeler, Ben Roethlisberger. Jesus is the one who brought me back to him. He said this just recently. Jesus is the one who brought me back to him, and I'm so thankful for it because I feel I'm a better Christian, a better husband, a better father today because of his forgiveness of me. Now that's what we're talking about. Ben got it right, right? Now, if you don't believe God will keep forgiving you your sins, you don't know him. But if you aren't trying your best to overcome your sin, you don't love him. That's my bottom line. If you don't believe he can forgive you of your sins, you don't know him, and you don't know his grace. But if you aren't trying your best to overcome your sin, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, I believe if we unpack that verse, really, we know what it means. It doesn't mean that you never fail, but it means that that's your focus. Finally, water baptism is this. Water baptism is a decision to live a confirmed life. Now, I'm really preaching it backward in a way, but John the Baptist, I'm preaching in the same order he did it. So maybe it's not backward. So I don't know. I'll let you be the jury, decide which comes first conviction or confirmation. I, I don't know. I kinda, how many vote for conviction comes first? Okay. How many, how many think confirmation comes first? Okay, so we're divided. We're div- our church is divided right in the middle. <laughs> Conviction, confirmation. I don't know if it really matters because it ha- all happens so close together. The conviction of sin, the confirmation of grace. But very important because uh, uh, there are different personality types and different theological types. Some people love conviction. They love to be convicted. They, just, they love the catharsis of... <laughs> You know, they love the weeping and the catharsis. They just gotta, they gotta have conviction, and they like to put conviction on other people. They just, they want to go to a church. They want to go to a church. I, people used to say this. I, I don't know. Um, 
Moses, if you, you're probably coming from down, you're living down south, so you probably know there are people that used to say it when I was young. I want to go to a church where the pastor steps on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it sounds a little masochistic, doesn't it? I'm going to go to a church where the pastor slaps me around a little bit every Sunday. Then some people, just all confirmation. Well, we need all of it, right? Water baptism is a decision, but, but don't miss it, 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 especially if you're prone to love judgment a little more. Don't miss, don't miss the amazing truth of the confirmation of grace. Because we all need it. I love Watchman Nee's book, Set, Walk, Stand. Well, if you haven't read it, I just recommend everybody read that book, Set, Walk, Stand. And it's the, it's the, it's the outline of the book of Ephesians. We set with Christ in heavenly places. We walk worthy of the calling that we've been called. We stand, having done all to stand against the forces of evil. Set, walk, stand. It's, it, it's the gospel in the epistles. And so, but Watchman Nee says in the first chapter or so, the Christian life doesn't begin with a big do. It begins with a done, big done. We don't work for victory. We work from victory, he says. We don't work for grace. We work from grace. Never, that never changes. John answered, I baptize you with water. But the one who is more powerful than I will come after me. Uh, uh, who's the, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Which, that's an amazing, that needs an hour of preaching right there. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was baptized too. All those horrible people, Jesus gets in line with all those horrible people. That's unbelievable. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Wait a minute, what's going on here? A bunch of knuckle-headed sinners lining up to experience a baptism of repentance. And who gets in line? The precious, sinless, immortal son of Mary, Jesus. Jesus gets in the center line to be baptized by John the Baptist, who freaked out when he saw Jesus in the line. They were cousins. If Jesus had done any bad stuff, the cousin would have known. You know all of that, Right? John would have known about it, but the Bible says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. John was adding, something was being added to the, to the, to the waters of baptism that day. A non-sinner was getting baptized like a sinner. That, that, that my, my pastor used to say when I was a kid, you remember, some of you might go forth when he came here and preached. He said, that should make an Egyptian mummy shout. (laughs) (laughs) The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves. John Stott said this, by the way. The essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God puts himself where we deserve to be. That's, That's your salvation. Not in giving your shirt to another person. Not in sharing your food. That's a result of salvation. That's not your salvation. Let me skip that last verse, guys. And I just want to close with a story that uh, some of you may know this story. It's a great story. It's been around for years, but 
It happened back in 1935 on a cold night. Mayor Fioriella, I believe I pronounce it, uh, Fiorella, Fiorella, F-I-O-R-E-L-L-O, Fiorella LaGuardia. You probably know that name. Many of you have flown in and out of LaGuardia Airport. He was the mayor of New York, a very colorful guy. Uh, they called him the little flower because he was five foot four inches and he wore a flower in his lapel all the time. And he was, he was known, he was very colorful and he was known to be very generous and, you know, would do all kinds of amazing things around the community. And uh, one night he goes downtown to the courthouse and he dismisses the judge who was on the bench and he sat on the bench and he would do this every once in a while. He was just that kind of guy. He was just a man of the people. And he's sitting on the bench and a tattered old woman brought in being charged with stealing a loaf of bread. And the, uh, this woman had been deserted by her husband. Um, her daughter was very sick and her two grandchildren were starving. The shopkeeper insisted he wouldn't cop the charges because he said it's a bad neighborhood. If people find out they can steal bread from me, I'll be out of business. So uh, Mayor... LaGuardia uh, says to the woman, says, well, I have to charge you then. And so it'll be either a $10 fine or 10 days in jail. And so as he's saying it, he's reaching into his pocket and pulling out a $10 bill and putting it into a hat. And he said, because we, he said, uh, in addition, I'm going to fine every person in this room 50 cents for living in a city where a person has to steal bread in order to feed their grandchild. And he passed his hat around the courtroom and collected $47.50. And he handed the money to the old woman. And she left richer than she came. She left better off than when she came. Because he showed her grace. That's the confirmation that you enter into when you enter the waters of baptism. When you humble yourselves before God and you, you agree to let Him call you a sinner. You agree to let Him call out your stuff. He takes His hat. He puts His $10 bill in. And He leaves you richer than when you came. That's the grace of God. And that's what it means to be baptized in water. You agree to live a challenged life. You agree to enter the process of a changed life. And you not for a moment do you forget that you're constantly living a confirmed life by the grace of God. Let's stand. I know that everybody here didn't just get baptized in water. And many of you were baptized a long time ago and you're a Christ follower. But some of you need to mentally revisit that day. You need to revisit that process. Because that process is something we experience over and over again in our lives. That's the growth cycle. The growth cycle is I experienced this part of my life where the Lord is challenging me. I experience, then I move into the, if I accept the challenge, I move into the area where he's changing me. And then I realize all over again 
how much he confirms me and how much he loves me. I was thinking the other day when I went through a period where I was failing the Lord. I was really failing the Lord and I knew it and I was struggling. And in some ways, and I know this is dangerous and you got to be careful with this, but in some ways I felt closer to God during that period. Somebody's shaking your head. You know what I mean? We look at someone who's sinning and we think they just hate God and they're ignoring God. That, not necessarily the psychological dynamic that's going on when they're, when they're doing that thing that they shouldn't be doing. I kept feeling God hold me close, close during those days. It, it didn't make me want to sin. It made me want to stop sinning. It made me want to move away from that thing. Because those idols... Those idols will, will destroy you. Those idols will make you pay more than you can afford to pay. Remember, we all remember the saying, make you pay more than what you want to pay and make you stay long and you want to stay. <laughs> but God is in the midst of your sin is saying, I love you. And because I love you, I want to pull you out of that. And I want you to turn your back on that. And I want you to turn back to me. And somebody here is, that's where you're at right now. And I'm going to pray for you right now. We're not, it's because of COVID-19 and all the protocols. We want to invite you forward. We won't lay hands on you. But the Holy Spirit's going to lay hands on you right where you are. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who need to draw close to you again and agree and come back to the, the, the glory of a challenged life, a changed life, and a confirmed life. I pray for them right now. And I pray for that person who's farthest from you, that person who hasn't even made their decision to become a Christ follower. I pray that they will have heard the sermon this morning and say in themselves, that's the life I want. And they will cross the line of faith and be saved today and become transformed by the power of your grace in the name of Jesus Christ.